Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That's a summation of the first three verses of Psalm chapter 1. And in many ways, that summation of those three verses is a summation of all the wisdom literature in the Bible, which at its core, this type of literature is is trying to help us understand where true blessing is found, where true happiness is found, because that's what that word means in the language of the Old Testament, that that blessing, that, that happiness that we are all longing for. And that's why that verse grabs our attention. When we see the word blessed, when we see the word happy, when we see the word content, we're immediately drawn to it because at the core of who we are and the deepest parts of our heart, that is what we are longing for. Isn't that what you're longing for? Isn't that what we all have have come looking and begging for in our pursuits in this life? We are longing for the blessing of God. We are longing for a place to try to find true happiness. We are longing for a source of true contentment. And what's beautiful about the Scripture and what's beautiful about our God as He has revealed to us where true blessing is found. So much of the Bible, so much of the work of God in the Scripture is leading us to understand where true blessing, where true joy is found. And that's encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you because it tells me this, that God wants that for us. That God wants you to be happy. That God wants you to be content. That God wants you to find joy. He wants you to live in abundant joy. Why else would he spend so much time orchestrating and writing down his thoughts, his encouragement to us about where blessing is found in the Scripture? He wants you to know where true happiness is found. Let me ask you this morning, is that the way that you think about God? When you're just sitting at home, you're sitting in silence and you're reflecting upon who God is, do you think of Him in that way? Do you think of of our God as a heavenly Father who is entirely good and wants His children to live in happiness? I hope so. I'm afraid, though, that there are many people, maybe in this room, but certainly around the world, who have a very different conception of God than that. There are many religions, there are many other people who promote this understanding of God, that He is cold, that He is distant, that He is indifferent, calculated, unapproachable. But hear me this morning, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the God that we see unveiled through the sun, unveiled through the pages of Scripture. No, this God that we worship, this God that we exalt together is a God who is near to us. He's a God who cares for us. He's a God that loves us. This God has has made provision for us when we were enemies to become sons and daughters in His family. And as His children... This heavenly Father wants us to be happy. 
God wants us to find true joy. And he has provided for us a way to find true joy by fixing our broken desires. He has provided us a a way to find the kind of blessing, happiness, contentment that we have been longing for by bringing us to himself. Because only in him can true happiness be found. God has made provision for you. He's made provision for me to be happy through the work of Christ. And this morning... Our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 to 10, Paul is helping remind us where true contentment, true blessing, true joy can be found. And he's doing this while at the same time correcting some false teachers in Ephesus who are leading the people of God astray. Because he knows what God desires for us. He knows what's at stake and he doesn't want any teacher to get in front of the people of God and lead them to a place that does not honor God. You see, it's very important for us to understand that that satisfaction is a, a big concern for God because satisfaction is essential to the message of the gospel. Yes, it is true that the good news of Jesus Christ is concerned about our salvation and thankfully it is because we needed saving. We were separated from a holy and righteous God and we had an eternity of separation awaiting us. But inasmuch as the gospel is concerned with our salvation, it is also concerned with our satisfaction. It is concerned with the the effect of sin, but also the cause of sin that got us in this problem in the first place. Salvation and satisfaction are two sides of the same gospel coin. And we need to understand that the work of Christ provides for both. Provides for our salvation. Provides for our satisfaction. Because both of them lead us to God. Who is the author of our salvation. And the source of our satisfaction. And any teaching in the church. Any declaration from the church. That says something different than that. Is not honoring to God. Any any teaching in among the people of God that says something different about God is a danger to the church. So Paul addresses this. He corrects, even as he reminds us today, where true contentment and happiness are found. So let's, let's be reminded this morning, an, an encouraging morning. Let's, let's be reminded of God's provision for us to be happy. To be content. And I hope that even now, your soul is perking up because you know you need it. You know you want it. I don't know where you came from this week. I don't know what stress you're under. A lot of change is happening amongst this room, I can imagine, especially as college is getting underway. A lot of new. There could be a lot of fear in that, but I want you to hear me this morning. God wants you to be happy. He's made provision for you to be happy. This is going to be an encouraging word for you today. I hope. Let's, let's look together. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. 
Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we, were, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Now I want to begin our examination of this text right in the middle because I think in the middle of it is where the, the core truth can be found in what Paul is writing to Timothy. In this passage, Paul is talking about contentment and specifically how contentment is tied to godliness. How when you pursue godliness, that will lead you to the contentment that you have been longing for. Now before we dive any further, let me make sure that we all understand what we mean when we say contentment. Contentment is defined by the dictionary as a state of happiness and satisfaction. Sounds good, right? You're all wanting it. A state, a state, a permanent state of happiness and satisfaction. Sounds good. Next week, uh, well, a week, not this coming week, the next week, my family and I are going to go to the beach. Ugh. It's going to be so good. And here's what's going to make it even better. My parents and Jordan's parents are coming too. And here's why that's important, because we have an almost four-year-old and a seven-month-old. And it would not be a state of satisfaction. It would be a state of stress the whole time we were on vacation, getting up very early, going to the beach to build sand castles, dealing with, you know, the things that children bring to the table, all of which are fine. But in terms of vacation, it can be sometimes more work than rest. But our parents are coming. And we're going to get to lay out on the beach, read books, provided there's no hurricane, right? We're going to be able to sleep in in the morning. We're going to be able to do stuff just together that we want to do and not have, you know, crying happening around it. I hope uh, it's just the two of us. Um, It's going to be great. And at the same time, we'll get good quality family time, which is, is exciting. So I can even now begin to taste the happiness and satisfaction that will come because of our vacation. But do you know what the problem is with vacations? They end. 
They end. They don't last forever. It's a a temporary state of satisfaction and happiness. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. The kind of contentment that Paul is writing about here is not temporary. It didn't last for a little bit. It is sustained because it is rooted in something that is eternal. God himself. And Paul wants you to know that while it is possible to find some token of happiness here, a taste of joy here, nothing you find here will last because it's meant to point you to something greater. Don't get enamored by creation. You look to the creator because only there can you find true contentment. Let me uh, offer you a different definition of contentment in light of that truth. One written by a Puritan named Thomas Watson. Here's how he said, here's how he defined contentment. Contentment is a sweet temper of the spirit. That's very Puritan, right? Whereby a Christian carries himself in an equal poise in every condition. Why? Because he's got a firm foundation. She has a firm foundation of contentment, of joy, happiness. God himself. Paul wants Timothy to see and to teach that the only way that we can find true blessing in this life, true contentment in this life and for all eternity is in a life that pursues God. Godliness leads to contentment. Here's the spiritual reality in Scripture that if you embrace wherever you are in life is going to make your life better. The closer you are to God, the happier you will be. Isn't that true? Some testimonies in here. It's been true in my life. The times that I'm happiest, the times that I have the most joy in my life are when I am walking closest to the Lord. Why? Because the more we get of God, the more we have of God, the closer we are to God, the closer we are to the source of our joy and happiness the more that we are reminded of the futility of pursuing things in this world. The closer we are to God, the happier we will be. When you pursue godliness, you will gain contentment. That's what Paul says here. So here's the question. Why is it that so many people are unhappy? Why is it that so many Christians seem like they're more unhappy than the people who do not know God around them. Could it be that we're forgetting where true satisfaction actually is found, where true contentment is actually found? I want us to wrestle with this question just for a moment, because I think it gets to the heart of what Paul's trying to, to say here in 1 Timothy 6. Where is it that you find happiness? What, where is it that you find the true fulfillment of your desires? And to help answer this question, I want to utilize the language that Paul uses in 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2, the language of slavery, the language of bond service to help us understand our condition apart from Christ, our condition in Christ, and why it is that true contentment and satisfaction can only be found in here. So, why aren't more of us happy? Well, the Bible says that all of us are under the yoke of a master. The Bible says that all of us are under the yoke 
of a master. And we see this language here in verse 1 of 1 Timothy 6. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And this, this idea of yoke here is one of, of burden. That you're carrying something for the good of someone else. There's, there's something that is controlling you in your life. And whatever is controlling you is, is, has a direct effect on where you can find contentment. We are slaves according to Scripture. And there are really only two options in terms of who we are slaves to. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 11. Let's look at that really quickly together. Here's what Paul writes. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be, listen, enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from that enslavement to sin. Now, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die. Never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, do you see how Paul is utilizing here again the language of slavery and the reality of slavery to help us understand something about our own spiritual condition? Many of us, when we read verses 1 and 2, and when we read Romans 6 perhaps, we are caught off guard that Paul would utilize the language of slavery because we're very uncomfortable and rightfully so with the language of slavery because of the terrible history of slavery in America, the stain that it is upon all humanity and certainly our country. But I want just to, for a moment, remind you of the reality of slavery in this time and, and how Paul is using it and why he is using it with a different understanding that can be very, very helpful to us, redeeming for us, as he utilizes that language for the purposes of God. In this time, during the Roman Empire, slavery was a little bit different than we have understood it today in light of the African slave trade. It is estimated that in the Roman Empire, over one-third of the people were slaves of some sort, meaning that 50 to 60 million people were enslaved in some capacity. Now, that came from a variety of reasons. It could have been that they were conquered and were forced to serve in some way. It could also be, and this is predominantly the case, especially in Paul's context here, that some of them sold themselves into slavery for a reason. They were in poverty, and they had no way to get out. And so the only thing they had to offer was themselves. And so they would go to work for a benefactor, they would go to serve a household until they could make enough money or gain enough wealth to buy their freedom and live on their own. Some of them actually sold themselves into slavery to make enough money to buy Roman citizenship because in Roman citizenship, they would have more rights. And so there's a different context surrounding slavery at this time. Some people worked as teachers, as craftsmen, managers, cooks, even government officials. Some slaves even owned slaves themselves. So it's different. Now, I don't want to over-glamorize it because even though it was different, it does not mean it's preferable. It's never good for one person to own another. It's always the result of sin. 
And any slave, even if they were treated better than what we have seen in the African slave trade, they were all marginalized, powerless, and prone to disgrace or insult and even abuse. But I think we can understand that when Paul is writing at this time, there's a different understanding of slavery. And it's a different reality. It was everywhere. And so what Paul does is he utilizes a sinful reality in a broken world to help us teach, uh, help us, to help teach us a reality of the kingdom of God, a reality of our own state in a broken and sinful world. And so with that in mind, let's, let's re-engage this language to help us understand what Paul is speaking to us here. According to Romans 6, there are really just two masters that you can serve. Two yokes that you can wear as a human being. Either you are a slave to sin because you have not been freed from sin. You've sold yourself to sin and now you owe a debt that you cannot pay on your own. Or you are a slave to God. A slave to righteousness serving His kingdom and His purposes because you have been bought by Christ. The debt that you could not pay, Christ has paid for you so that you can be free from the master of sin. And here's what Paul is saying. Whoever's yoke you're wearing, whatever master you serve, has a direct connection to your ability to find happiness in this life, to find contentment in this life. The yoke of sin is heavy and it is necessarily destructive because it is leading you to a path that is contrary to the things of God. It's fueled by a lie. A lie that we see on the page here in 1 Timothy 6 as we look at the lives of these false teachers. And here's the lie. Here's the lie that sin says as it over and over again brings you back into slavery to it. Great gain Here's what it says. Great gain is found in elevating yourself over others. Great gain is in glorifying yourself over others. Here's how you find happiness. You get more stuff. You find ways to show that you're better than someone else. And as long as you feel better about yourself, as long as you're doing better than someone else, that's where you find contentment. That's where you find satisfaction. You find joy by demeaning other people. You find joy by taking advantage of other people. You find joy in having more than other people. But don't we see immediately the lie that that sin creates? If, if your source of contentment, if your source of joy is always more, whatever the cost, don't you see a problem with that? Because someone else is always going to have more, right? Someone else always has more. And so if your source of joy is found in having more than someone else, you are immediately from the beginning set up for despair, for disappointment, because you will never have the most. And it's this weird sin cycle that happens. As you notice you don't have more, and you recognize that I'm not as happy as I should be or as I want to be. And if I just had more, I would be happier. Here's what it does. It begins to, to steal your joy for the things that God has already provided, even as you go after other people to destroy them and take what they have. So you're not satisfied with what you have. 
because you're always looking at someone else and you're stealing the joy of someone else and trying to get more joy for yourself and this cataclysmic reaction is happening all around us and Satan is loving it. Because that kind of destruction is exactly what he wants. And stealing our joy, it leads us to do the same toward others. We don't, we don't care because we just want the thing, regardless of what it costs. These false teachers that we see in Ephesus thought, thought gate, great gain was found in swindling these Christians out of their money taking more, lining their own pockets so that they could have more stuff for themselves. But in pursuing their selfish desires, look at the effect upon the church. The result in the church, because of their selfish behavior, was controversy, quarrels, envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Their sin was stirring up sin in others and it was destroying the church. Friends, this is the fruit of sin. The fruit of sin in your own life and the fruit of sin in the life of the church. This kind of selfishness has no place among the people of God because it runs contrary to the very heart of the gospel. It leads, according to verse 9, to senseless and harmful desires that ensnare us and lead us to our ruin and our destruction. And apart from Christ, it will lead you to your eternal ruin and your eternal destruction. If my worth is found in what I have compared to everyone else, I will never be content. I will be consumed with envy and covetousness. Is anything more opposite, contrary, to who Christ is and who He has called us to be. What does it say about the gospel? What does it say about God and Jesus if we teach this kind of stuff in the church? That more stuff, more material things, more money is what leads you to happiness. What does that say about what God has already provided? What does that say about God Himself? Is He good enough? Is He Truly the deepest longings of our heart? Is he, is he what we're actually searching for? Or is he not? These false teachers were leading the people of God astray. They were leading them away from godliness. And as a result, they were leading them away from their true source of contentment. But those who are godly serve a different master. They have a different yoke a different master, and they are working to build a different kingdom. And listen, we are willing to serve this master because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Can I just read for you Jesus' words from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30? In fact, I want you to just close your eyes. I just want you to hear the promise of God. As we've already outlined the tension of sin, just listen to the promise that Christ has for you. Come to me. People who are crying, just like that little girl, in your spirit. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound like someone you want to follow? Can you imagine, I'm just going to use that little girl just for an example. Can you imagine your spirit crying like that, screaming like that, and finding a heavenly father who welcomes you and comforts you and brings him close to you? And here's what he says. You've been working so much, this yoke that you've had on you, You've been working to build a kingdom that will never satisfy you. You're weary. You're tired. You're longing for something better. Well, guess what? I'm the better. I'm offering you something different. And here's the, here's the kicker. I've already done the work for you. You don't have to work. You don't have to work to please God anymore. You don't have to, to do that anymore. You don't have to work to find salvation. I've already done the work for you. Don't rely upon yourselves. Here's what Christ is saying. Don't rely upon yourselves to build your own kingdoms because it leads to nothing. Rest in me. See the beauty of my work for you and you will find rest for your souls. You will find blessing that you cannot imagine. Hear me. When we step in to the kingdom of Christ, when we step into the rest of Christ, we find unimaginable gain. Verse 6. Great Gain. Gain that seems counterintuitive. We give up our own glory in order to pursue the glory of God. And we do that because we believe that what we have found in Him is the true blessing. It's the true longing of our heart. We delight ourselves in the Lord. Just like Psalm 37 told us to do. And suddenly, what we once desired change. We begin to pursue Him in all our heart's longings. We find the satisfaction that our heart has been longing for, that it was created for, and we turn and we worship God. That's why we were created. God created us with these longings to find satisfaction in Him and then turn that satisfaction back to Him in glorious worship and praise. And listen, if we find contentment in Him, if we find happiness and joy in Him, it will last in any circumstance. Any circumstance. And if anybody should know anything about that, it's Paul. Right? Wasn't his joy threatened? I mean, if this dude can be in the inner prison praying and singing songs, if he's saying they take my freedom, they take my health, they beat me to death, they leave me for dead, I get shipwrecked, all kinds of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And even in the midst of that, I am blessed. Even in the midst of that, I am happy. I have found joy. Well, listen, I'm leaning forward saying, I want some of that. What he got that I don't have. I want some of that. I want a contentment. I want a happiness. I want a joy that's not defined by circumstance but rest in something better. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Unparalleled gain because we get God. We get the infinite riches of His being. We finally understand how to live in a way that is in alignment with why we were created, in a way that builds each other up rather than tears each other down because my joy and happiness is not all consumed with having more than you and being better than you. But rather recognizing that God is enough. He's enough for all of us. It doesn't matter how many of us join the club. 
So no matter how many of us find joy and contentment in Him, we will never exhaust the goodness of God. We finally understand our true God-given desires and where they can be met truly and wholly. As slaves in this kingdom, we serve all the better because we have a good master. And we want his wealth. We want his household to grow. Because the more people are in it, the more that benefit. And the more that our God, who we want to honor, is glorified. Here's the reality, friends. Unless you are in Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are in bondage. You have a debt that you will never be able to pay. And it will lead you to destruction. It will plunge you into ruin and desire, verse 9, not just now, but for all eternity. But here's the promise of the gospel. If you are in Christ, you have been bought You have been bought from one master and put into another household. You have been set free from your obligation to them and now you serve someone better who works for your behalf, who works for your good, who serves even as you serve him. That's good. Yes, you know, it's good. Happy today. This is such such good news. He's freed you from this, and we can rest in Christ. But hear me. If you're in Christ, you've got to fight. You've got to fight not to go back to that old master. You've got to fight not to go back to that place that you thought was going to bring you happiness because you know better. And you've got to know when you're not pursuing godliness, it will not lead you to happiness. And you feel it probably almost immediately after you sin. Uh, this is not right. I knew better. I did it anyway. But I can't keep turning back to that well. It's bitter water. It's not water that will satisfy my thirst. Let's keep pursuing godliness. Let's keep finding contentment in the right place because when we do, when we are satisfied by Christ, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in can be used for the glory of God. That's how Paul can write this audacious claim in verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. You work in a way that's honoring to the person you've sold yourself to. Why? So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You're telling me that even in service, even in bond service, even in slavery, you can work for the glory of God? Absolutely you can. Yes. If you know where your true blessing lies. Because it could have been very easy, again, under this conception of slavery, right? It could have been very easy to have sold yourself into a household and spend your time working in that household being consumed with what they have and what you don't have. You could have been embittered. You could have been jealous. You could have been envious and covetous. And you could have worked for their destruction or for their good. But Paul says, if you know where your true source of contentment is found... It's not defined by circumstance, and you can be pleased with what you have. You can be pleased for your provision. You can be pleased with the fact that you have food and clothing, that God in those things has shown you his care for you, his his provision for you, his protection for you. And you can work in a way that commends the gospel. 
that benefits your brother, if your master is a brother, but certainly benefits the kingdom. Contentment is not bound by circumstance. Contentment is rooted in something much more, something eternal in God himself. So here's the question. Are you content? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Well, what is it that you desire? This morning, if you don't know Christ and your soul is crying out, oh, would you look to Jesus? Be satisfied by him alone. Maybe you need to look to Jesus again because you forgot and you turned to a wrong master. Hear me, only looking to him will you find contentment. Godliness leads to contentment. And friends, there is no greater gain. How can we respond this morning to what we've seen in our text today? How can we respond to this call for godliness and contentment? I want us to offer four responses for us as individuals and us as a church to consider and think about as we allow the Holy Spirit to use this text to work in our hearts. Firstly, let us pursue contentment in the right place as a testimony to those around us. Let's believe the gospel, right? Let's believe the gospel. Let's, let's be saved. Let's, let's find the, the saving work of Christ that leads us to God. And then as we get access to God, let's actually believe that God is better that God is good. Let's taste and see that he is good. And let's let our satisfaction be seen in any circumstance as a testimony. Because it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. You just got that diagnosis. You just lost your job. The stock market crashed again. Your football team lost. Whatever it is, for us to be happy and content in the midst of that doesn't make sense. And there are going to be people around asking, how can you be happy in the face of cancer? How can you be happy in the face of death? How can you be happy in the face of unemployment? How can you be happy in the face of an economic downturn? And here's what we say. Our joy is not defined by that. Our contentment's not based on that. It's rooted in something else. And here's what they're going to say. What? And you're going to say, not what, who? People want it. Let's show them where it's found. Secondly, let us continually ask the Spirit to search our hearts to reveal harmful desires. And I think we have to specifically talk about for a moment money and materialism because it's all over the page here. We see it in verse 10. Not just any desire, but the desire for money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money itself. We need money. We need money to do the Lord's work. We need money to, to care for ourselves. But when you start loving money more than you start loving God, there's a problem. And it leads to all kinds of evils. It's through that desire for money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. It's been said that money doesn't change your desires. It just really reveals your true desires. Right? Because if you had money, which in your mind means freedom and security, what would you do? 
Is it different than you would do today? Well, then you're letting money define the course of your life. You're making money a God, and that is dangerous. Do you think if you have more, you will have enough? Do you think if you have more money, you'll be more secure? Do you think if you have more money, you'll be happier? When is more enough? I hope you recognize the danger of making money your God and not recognizing what God has already provided for you and how you can find contentment there. we got to spend some time before the Lord asking Him to help us in the Spirit make sure our hearts are free from these kind of desires. A couple months ago, Jordan and I decided that it was time for a new car. And some of you know that I've been asking for one for about five years. <laughs> and she finally said yes, because uh, my car was acting up. There were some issues with it. And we just weren't sure. We got some of those corrected, but we just weren't sure how long it was going to be a reliable car to drive. And so we began looking. And we bought one. And I remember, and I have to wrestle with this every time I buy a new car, I remember finding some pride in the car. You know, like, ah, oh, yes, it's comfortable. I like the look of it. There's some really cool gadgets in here. I'm going to really enjoy this car. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring such happiness to my life. And then do you know what happens? Rock chips happen. These wonderful roads that Dallas never stops working on suddenly sometimes have rock chips and they're thrown and they mess up the paint job. And what's funny is all the happiness I had in that moment when I bought the new car suddenly begins to be drained rock chip by rock chip by rock chip. And so the thing that I found joy in suddenly becomes the source of my worry. Right? Isn't that so dumb? And so I have to sit before the Lord all the time saying, God, thank you for the provision. Thank you for the new car. I feel like we made a good steward by, but I have found probably too much pride in my car. And thank you for the reminder that's not a good source for my joy or happiness, that it will fade. It will necessarily fade because it was never meant to satisfy me. Now, how many of those things do we have in our life all the time? All right? If I go to this restaurant and eat this meal, it's going to be so good, I'm going to find so much joy in it until three or four hours later. Oh, <laughs> uh, if I had these clothes, I'd, mm, they can rip, they will fade with every wash, regardless of what detergent you use. <laughs> right? If I had this house, there was somebody that will always have a bigger house than you, a better house. Listen, don't do that. And whatever it is, that you, you'll feel it, because I, I felt it with the car. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel that, oh, yeah, I'm good now, because I've got this new thing, this shiny, I've got this jewelry. I'm, I'm looking good. I lost all this weight, right? Or I put on weight, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to accomplish in life. I don't know. Whatever is your goal, okay? I feel good now. Mm. That's not sustained. That's fleeting right? Doesn't mean you can't rejoice in it, but don't let it be your ultimate source of joy because it's meant to point you to God, okay? And finally, or thirdly, sorry, let's promote leaders who lead us to godliness. What's dangerous about what we see here in chapter 6 verses 1 to 10 is that the people who are leading the church are leading them to find contentment in the wrong place because they themselves have found contentment in the wrong place. 
And if we've learned anything in 1 Timothy, it's that we've got to be careful who we place in positions of leadership because what they do affects the whole church. And so I charge you, church, when we do the work of appointing elders, when we do the work of appointing people into leadership roles, let's make sure they're going to lead us to the right place. Because if not, they can lead to all this kind of stuff here. That's not good for the church. Constant friction among people instead of reminding us of how unified we are in Christ. Finally, let us remember the sacrifice of Christ today who came to serve us so that we could be set free from the yoke of sin. Let this reminder of contentment do what it was meant to do and stir your heart to worship. You have been bought if you are in Christ from a household of sin, and you have been placed into the household of God. You are a son and daughter of the King because the Son of God came to rescue you. And God wants you to be happy. Find joy in Him. Would you do that? Look to Christ and be reminded of His love for you and be reminded of what He's provided for you in God. And then worship this God who's worthy of it. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord, asking Him to help you know how to respond today. Maybe your soul is crying out this morning because you have never truly found satisfaction. You've never found contentment that lasts in any circumstance. Oh, would you turn to Christ today? Just a minute, we'll have some pastors and ministers here in the front. We'd love to speak with you more about Christ and what he has provided for you. But maybe you need to look to Christ again today because you haven't been looking for contentment in the right place. And you're thirsting. You're, you see some hunger. You've been tossed by the waves of this world and you need something more sure. Maybe you just need to be reminded today and encouraged today to look to Christ. To allow Him to lead you to God. Allow His work as the Son to lead you to, to God in His fullness and the satisfaction that only He can provide. And then would you rejoice today in the work of Christ who saved you, who bought you from a household of sin and brought you into the household of God? so that you could be happy, content, not just now, but for all eternity. What a good God we serve, amen? Father, would you help us know how to respond? Find us faithful to your leadership, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.